We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. This is me, Lean, from ArsenalVision.co.uk. On today's show, Elliot and Paul will be discussing the excellent 3-0 victory away to Olympiacos on Wednesday night. Great stuff, eh? We're through to the next round. It was a, a great team performance, but weirdly, as great as it was, great as Euro's goals were, our team defending was, the only thing I've been thinking of and watching over and over again is that Joel Campbell assist. Oh, I, just, I just love it. I've, I've watched it too many times. It's unhealthy. I've got a bit of an obsession for assists through passes. Yeah, amazing, amazing. He, he had a fantastic game, Joe Campbell. Really pleased with that because I'm hoping he can kick on from this now and prove himself a very valuable squad player. Maybe even a first-team player. Jumping the gun, perhaps, but who knows after that performance. Um, Yeah, I'm rambling now because I'm really tired, so I'm going to hand over to the guys who are probably less tired than I am. So, I'll be back after the Villa game. Enjoy the podcast. Oh, before I go, excuse the technical issues. There's a few sound problems, so apologies for that. We'll make sure that is solved for the next one. But yeah, you can bear with it. Listen, and back again after Villa. Na, 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 Giroud. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. You can also find me at number one Giroud fan for life. Um, I am here joined only by Paul because both James and Tim decided they wouldn't even 
talk to me in the wake of what was a phenomenal win, a phenomenal qualification, a hat trick by Olivier Giroud. They couldn't possibly stomach my negativity, but I have no negativity to bring to this program. Uh, Paul can be found on Twitter at Posin in my pants. Hello, Paul. What's up, bitches? <laughs> All right. So I'm talking about. Um, yeah, it was one of those nights that just makes you love football all over again. Um, makes you remember why we put ourselves through the ringer with this. On the one hand, we never should have been in the situation to begin with, but you'd have to be such an asshole to look at it that way. And I am not such an asshole. You came uh, was, close. I came close, but I didn't. No, it was a great recovery. Let's dive right into it. Um, I've got some Twitter questions that I'm actually going to use this time, turning over all kinds of new leaves. Um, first things first, really the big decision, I think, for the manager was what he was going to do with the front line. He went without Ox. He went Joel, Giroud, Theo. I think he got it nailed on. What were your thoughts when you saw the lineup? Yeah, so for me, the three the three potential pro- – well, let's go with your question. So Theo, for me, was the big question because on top of all of that – the manager talked about his fitness when asked about it over the weekend and intimated that he wasn't confident that Theo was in any way fit, having just played 25 or 27 minutes or something, um, and that that was his conundrum as much as anything. Uh, and we may have seen signs of Theo's limitations in the game. So that was his tough call. I do, don't think his uh, – I think Campbell picked himself. Um, I heard the pan, Gary Lineker's panel, which included Ian Wright, you know, surprised before the game that Ox wasn't starting. I don't think many Arsenal supporters were surprised that Campbell started. And I think all of them pretty much wanted Theo to start, assuming he was fit enough. So I really liked our front three, or if you want to look at it, our front six. It was exciting. Bit of a gamble, but not really because we didn't have a lot of choices because the other option was an out-of-form Oxlade Chamberlain, who we all love, but we... but but I think that was an option. I mean, that's the thing we've seen Arsene Wenger stick with quote unquote his guys in the in the face of bad form and not be willing to sacrifice them. And I don't think Joel Campbell's one of his guys, and I think Ox certainly is. And he had to make the tough choice to keep Ox on the bench and play Joel Campbell. And and I thought that was big. That's fair, but he was, uh, yeah, he was already picking Campbell ahead of Ox though. That's fair. I, I just think in a big spot to see the manager go with the more informed player against a player that he's really been involved in developing and bringing through and trying to give more responsibility to. I think this was a key moment for Arsene where he could have gone with his sort of default position of the player he trusts, and he went with the player in form. It was key. I don't think it was in the least bit surprising. I would have been. Uh, I think I and quite a few others would have been very surprised if Ox had started ahead of Campbell against ahead of Theo would have put it down to, he doesn't think Theo is fit enough. Well, let's get into the game. Um, I, I thought that we, you know, the funny thing is this is one of the games where actually, I don't know that we were playing all that well, but the thing I liked about it is that we weren't going hell for leather from the start. It seemed that there was a patience um, to the way we were playing. Do you think some of that was down to Olympiacos maybe being a little better than we expected? Or do you think the plan was, not to get ahead of ourselves, wait for our spots, draw them out a little bit, and, and look for the chances to, to counter or to peg back when they came. I think more than that, Olympiacos were at home with a, lot, with a lot of energy, and we've seen this many times when we're playing a team that comes out. We were on our front foot. They were probably more on their front foot. Uh, we understood it was a 90-minute game. They understood that if they could get one goal, we were fucked. 
Um, so I think there was a little bit of measure in our side. I think it was mainly they had a tremendous amount of energy. They were, they, they seem very big, very physical, very quick for the first 30 minutes, yeah. 20 to, uh, to 25, I think is, is, is when for me, the turning point, turning point number one was, and we'll get into this, the switching Campbell's wing which was the turning point in the last game too. That's two in a row where it seems like I think I could manage the next game, play Campbell on either wing, and then after two minutes, switch wings and we'll, we'll crucify the opposition. I really think they came out flying very, very high energy. And it's very hard to take that away from a home team unless you completely dominate the ball. And we didn't have the midfield yesterday to dominate possession in the way a Bayern or an Arsenal at their best might dominate possession. So I think we were always going to get what we got. They came out flying, full of beans. You know, you would have expected the counterpoint to be after about 70 minutes they start flagging. Now, the game took its own turn in events, but had it just played out the way it was, they had a very strong first 20-25. Then the Flamini moment. And from there on in, we were not only very much in the game, we couple of minutes after we scored and the momentum changed and we played a smarter game. And at that point it was all about getting to half time without conceding, which seems to be our, our yeah, formula. And we had a ropey period. Yeah, we, we, we definitely had a ropey period where that was on our mind. And I think, look, I, I think it's fair to say that the midfield wasn't functioning early on as fluid, as fluidly as we'd like. And to me, it still looks like Ramsey and Flamini as the central midfield pairing has some work to do in terms of understanding its role in protecting the back four and who's going to go and who's going to stay. I mean, credit Flamini for getting in the position he did when he hit the bar, but, <laughs> you know, there's nobody protecting the back four. And so before we get into Giroud and Campbell and Ozil, all of whom were so important to what happened on the night, I want to quickly talk about two players who have been heralded by the media, but but maybe would be less heralded given the scoreline. And that's Koscielny and Czech. Mm. Um, on a night when we needed the goals, we also needed to not concede, obviously, to make our, our job dip more difficult. Now, as it turns out, we could have conceded and still gone through. But what did you make of Koscielny and Czech? Because I think in the absence of a really effective central midfield partnership, they have really stepped up and, and proven even more how important they are. Um, and, and I thought that was the case again against Olympiacos. Yeah, a, a spot on. I think Koscielny and Czech were huge yesterday. And while we maybe didn't need that defensive solidity because we could have conceded a goal, that's only based on the sequence things happened. Had we well, exa exactly. Yeah. The, thir the third goal means we could have, but during the flow of the game, I yeah. think conceding would have been very damaging. Yep. So it was huge. Um, I thought Czech was interesting after the game. There was a lot of confidence on the Arsenal team. I, I think you sensed that beforehand with Arsene in particular in the presser. He was very um, confident, almost ballsy, uh, saying he, he had a great line saying that it was that Olympiacos are already through. So the worry for them is that they may lose this when asked about how confident they were and how, you know, how Olympiacos's supporters were all behind them. Then check out. Well, he's the... trying to shift the pressure to yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. But but to do that and to say it the way he did, there was a definite air of confidence about him. And afterwards, Czech was asked, "Well, who would have seen that coming?" And Czech said, <laughs> yeah. 
Well, we did. We did. Yeah. Um, you know what, though, Paul? I mean, the reality is I don't think, you know, I, I put a poll up on Twitter asking the percentage people felt we had a chance of going through. And I put it at around 10 percent. And people said I was being doomy, which is kind of my hashtag brand anyway. But if you think about it, you're talking about a two goal win away at a place we hadn't won at a place where they'd won whatever it was, nine of their last 10 European home games or whatever it is. And a team that beat us at ours three, two, I, I, I don't think yeah. people recognize the enormity of the task. I don't think people get, you know, there is a tendency to just get behind the team and that's great. And admittedly, I probably could stand to do that a little more, but I don't think people really put into context how challenging it is to go away in Europe, get a two-goal win, and do it without not just your best player in Alexis or you know second best depending on where you rank him with Ozil, but several of your key players in the front line coming off of three really ropey domestic performances. Admittedly, one of them was a win, but so this yeah. was a tremendous show of character, and I don't know that it was as big a show of class in that when we went to Monaco and battered them and didn't quite get it done, I thought we were exceptional on the night. This was really a, a force of will kind of performance. I yes. don't think we were great the whole way through, but I thought we showed a force of will, a clinicalness, and we'll get to Giroud because there weren't tons and tons of chances, but he was clinical when they came. And I think that that's something that maybe Arsenal's been criticized for in the past, being able to play well and not showing the character. And I thought we played okay, certainly, but really showed a lot of character. Yeah. Um, I thought we played okay with moments of greatness, but overall yeah. pretty okay. I think defensively— And those moments were decisive. Yeah. I think this, defensively, when we made our adjust, after we made our Campbell adjustment, I thought we played excellently because we have been suspect at times on crosses, on corners, and on set pieces, and we had to face a lot of those, and we handled each one very solidly. So I think defensively you can say— we played well be above what is unfortunately a variable norm um, this season. Um, and when they played through us, Koscielny snuffed out the fires. And when they got a shot on target, Czech was there. And we have had it in the past where we've had clown card defending. And this is a game we could easily have scored two or three and conceded two or three in the past. But I think Koscielny and Czech deserve the credit for this being a much easier night than it could have been. I think that's absolutely right. And come back to your point. I think at the end of the day, this was all about belief and focus. And we had belief. And when it came to it, they they were kind of, yeah, we kind of believe. Whereas you could see from this team, they absolutely believed they could and would go there and get a result. And defensively, that provided them the focus all the way through. Uh, Arson talked about... Um, beforehand preparing for all the scenarios in other words going up a goal down a goal there'd be no goal until well into the second half and mentally this team was really on it all the way through the game and that, to me to your point this wasn't our most brilliant performance i think there were some great moments in it i, I think it was a great defensive performance a decent overall performance i think our midfield it, you know well, well, we'll come to Flamini in a bit. I would like to talk about this Flamini thing at some point. But I think overall, you're right, it wasn't a brilliant performance, but it was a very strong performance in terms of belief and focus and knowing what they needed to do and knowing they would get it done. Yeah, I mean, uh, look... The, the, I'll add one other point. Tim and I discussed the probability on the last pod, and he came out at 
um, and I was 50-50. But then after I got off the pod and uh, I WhatsApped you boys, so it's on record, it was it was belief. It was the fact that we know, you know, if we were up against Barcelona, that's a whole other story. But we know how to qualify, whether it's top four or it's going through to the next round. If it's us versus Tottenham or us versus Olympiacos, no matter how well they're playing, belief is the thing that gets us there and means that they fuck up against Newcastle on the final day or whatever it may be. Yeah, I get it. I, I guess the thing is, um, if you look at the history of our participation in Champions League, I would bet that fewer than 15% of our performances away have yielded a two-goal or better win. Um, and, and you know, also the, the team we were bringing to Greece does make a difference. Um, so it, I just think in the face of all of the odds, we really, really did something incredible. And the funny thing is my belief that it was 10 or 15% chance, if anything, shows how how appreciative I am of what the team achieved. You know, if you say it's 50-50, in a way you're saying it's not that tough an achievement. And what I'm saying is it's a Herculean achievement to go away to a team who just has to defend, to a team that hasn't lost at home. You know, this is a team that beat Dortmund in Greece, beat Juve in Greece, that beat us in Greece, granted with, you know, in dead rubbers, beat us at home, and we're taking a skeleton crew there. I think it was a Herculean task, and I I think that's why I I think even more credit is deserved than is being given. Um, And I couldn't be more I would also give them credit, though, for the fact that even when they completely fucked up with the first two results and were at zero points, I don't know. I I saw them getting what they needed against Bayern somewhere. We had to beat Bayern. And on the back of losing yeah. Zagreb and Olympiacos at Arsenal, I think expecting us to beat Bayern in one of two fixtures was I mean, that borders on just being blindly optimistic. We did it, and it's the result that ultimately allowed this to be possible, and it, it's a tremendous achievement. But you know, I don't think so. I I, I understand where you're coming from, but I think you got to have you got to have this kind of dual mindset, which is yes, that's true, but it's also true that Arsenal have gone and got results against the big teams at home and away yeah, in true. the Champions League, and the circumstances are different and psychology and blah, blah, blah. But uh, there were many people who said we could get a result against Bayern. I, I don't mean this in terms of, oh, they supported, they didn't support. It's really your gut feel. Lots of people thought we could get something decent out of Bayern, and lots of people thought that despite the Herculean task, that this team would find a way, just because it was this team, it was Arsenal, we qualify for shit, and you cross your fingers, and, you know, I'm not saying there's any great science to it, but you and I talked about it very early on, and I said I was optimistic. I put it at maybe a third, but I was really protecting myself emotionally. I really, if I had to put big money on it, I would probably have just tilted the, you know what? We'll probably find a way, and we right. probably, in the end, we got. You know, there was plenty of luck, but we had plenty of luck against us. But it's funny how, when you have belief and focus, the luck goes your way, and I, our I, luck I, went. I get yeah, that. Okay, I, I do. I I just think that, you know, for me, the origins of of the performance, the origins of the win last night, came from strength in an area where we haven't always had it, which is actually central defense and goalkeeper. Um, 
you know, I mean, we were only in the position of needing to win by two goals because our backup goalkeeper threw the ball into his net. Um, so, you know, you you see the difference it makes when you have solidity at the back because it lets your attacking players know, hey, if I get a chance or two, I can make the difference and we're not going to fuck it up at the back doing something clown car ridiculous. Let's get into the players that made the headlines, though. First and foremost, Olivier Giroud. So... Yep. Everything has to be immediately determined based on every individual performance. So in other words, Joel Campbell is now an excellent player and Olivier Giroud is Thierry Henry. I mean, that's just how we are in society right now. And obviously those things are not true. Olivier Giroud has always been a good player, not a great player. Joel Campbell has never really been considered a top quality player at our club. He played like one last night. And I don't think we have to decide once and for all that they are hashtag world class based on last night, but they both put in tremendous performances. The thing about Giroud is that this season he's added, I, I don't think he's been better than we've seen him before. I don't. In fact, in open play, I think he's gone through some ropey periods, but he's scored in important games against big opponents in big moments. And that was something that was kind of missing from him. And he, he obviously did it three times uh, against Olympiacos. The first goal was... Really a thing of beauty from Ozil, who turns, who who carves open their their back four with with a a beautiful through ball to Ramsey. And the header from Giroud, it, it's really the best thing about him, right? Coming to meet a ball at the near post, heads it in. Um, when that goal goes in, obviously I think it changes the psychology of the game tremendously. How important was that goal, do you think, to us being able to, to go on and get it done? And... Who do you think had the most telling contribution there? Ozil's pass, Ramsey's cross, or the header from Giroud? So, I'll work backwards. Uh, I think that's a really good question. I think you've got to divide up the spoils equally. Ozil's pre-assist, and pre-assists aren't worth dog shit most of the time. Normally, it's rolling the ball to somebody else. Yeah, it's like but a three-foot pass, and then someone else does yeah, that. That was assist-worthy and beyond. I mean... Talk about vision. He knew where he was putting that ball before he'd even turned and seen upfield. In fact, I don't think he bothered looking upfield. That's that's that fucking blind guy who can play darts and hits a treble 20. Just absolutely amazing. Uh, perfect ball, perfect weight. I mean, it's one thing going for that slot because you think it'll be there, but the, the ball, the weight, everything. Ramsey, the fact that he was out there to begin with. I want to get uh, to that, yeah. I where Monreal should have been. I'm not. I don't mean it in a no. He's no, been no, very no. Much, I mean that's, anyway, that's, that was the most uh, forward run at that time. Yeah, and I, well, uh, <laughs> when was Flamini's moment? He was in the. No, no sorry. I mean in that anyway. in that passage of play, Ramsey yeah, yeah, became okay. the most advanced player. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't think Cazorla would have made that run or occupied the position that Ramsey did in the same situation. Yeah, more than fair. And that brings us. So I thought. Giro's header was was class, but absolute class from Ramsey as well. The run, the left-footed cross, knowing what he wanted to do, knowing that Giro actually wasn't busting his nut into the six-yard box. And Giro talked about it that. He said, sometimes I hold back or something like that when talking about, and this was one of those times, because he does actually drop back, giving him the space. And Ramsey absolutely, I guess, must have had a sense of that and put it on his fucking noggin. And it's the second excellent header of that kind from Giroud in two games. And there was some talk about it maybe not being as good as the other header because the 
keeper got his hand to it. But Giroud did everything you can do from a header standpoint. Hit it the down, rest of lots of power. Yeah. 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 So he did great. But it does come. Let's go talk about the Giroud thing, though, about, you know, him being great or shit and there's no choice. You can't talk about Giroud without the context. Who's he playing with? Yeah, okay, so let me ask you a question real quick. Uh, Gunna Down Under on Twitter, David Russell yeah. says, does Giroud play better when Ramsey is in central mid rather than Santi? They seem to have a great chemistry together. I don't, and so there might be, I, I think there's something to that. Especially I think it's when hugely Ramsey's... important. So, so, so but, let me just give the, you my, my, okay. my 30 seconds on this. Ramsey loves to overlap. He loves to run forward. He loves to be the furthest forward player. And the two things Giroud likes to do, he likes to get his head on crosses, and he likes to flick the ball to on-rushing players, you know, with his back-to-goal play, little flicks and back heels and things like that. And when is there, Cazorla doesn't run beyond. So he's not in the position to make the crosses. He's not in the position to collect the flicks. Ramsey always runs beyond. He's in the position to get that through ball and make that pulled back cross or run beyond Giroud to pick up a flick or a, or a back heel or whatever it is. And in this instance, it, it made all the difference. I think that's absolutely right. I think it's broader than that. He loves any players running past him. And the second goal, you know, he loves a cutback, whether it's Theo style or even Campbell style, a cutback into the box. Campbell's cutback for Flamini was delicious. It could have maybe should have been Giroud, who cares? But <laughs> that, that, that's what Giroud would love. And that's what he got pretty, he got a different version of it. On the second goal, that was, if you look at it, it's Theo and Campbell well upfield because Giroud's injured and hobbling. And so he's well back. He loves runners ahead of him. And that's what, you know, when you start him with, say, Ramsey on the right and Alexis on the left, nobody's really running. We started to get some people running past Ramsey or Ozil, but it's much harder work to get people past Giroud at that point. And you take Ramsey away on the wing when he got injured. Now you've really kind of neutered him. Uh, Campbell, Campbell's, as he's becoming more confident, is going to the byline, etc. So we're seeing some more runs pass. But when we, you know, two pods ago, you, me, and Tim, I think it was, were discussing where the goal's coming from. And that was your line. And we didn't really have a good answer for it. There was a certain amount of scratching our heads with Alexis out, with, you know. Then the last pod, me and Tim were talking about it. And uh, I think it was I who said, um, now we have, uh, after that last 25 minutes against, who was it, Sunderland, where we brought Theo on, despite the fact that we were already ahead, you could see where all the goals were going to come from, but for both teams. <laughs> but you could see where we were going to get our goals from. It was Giroud and Theo on for about 16 minutes together, and we were creating chances all over the place. You could see how Giroud was going to score again. It's very specific. To me, it's binary. If you've got the right players on the field with Giroud, he makes loads of sense. And if you don't, you're dragging an anchor around the field because he can just lay it back to you. But we need somebody to get him behind, somebody to make the run. So I think it's mm -hmm. pretty binary. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. You know, the interesting thing with Cazorla is I think Cazorla is the much better central midfielder for us than Ramsey from 30 yards away from our goal to 30 yards away from their goal. From 30 yards away from their goal to their goal, Ramsey is the better central midfielder. 
I think he has more scoring instinct, more positional instinct. He can run beyond. He makes intelligent runs. He sets up his teammates. Cazorla has the closer control. He can get out of press. He can carry the ball from defense to attack. His transitional play is better. I think Ramsey Ramsey can create more goal threat, especially with a player like Giroud because he understands what to do with the space ahead of Giroud, ahead of the forwards. Um, well, he certainly converts into a more... He's basically a forward at that point. He's a support striker. He really yeah. is like a support striker in that respect. Um, and and, and to, the cost... But there is a cost to that. Of course and there I think is. You, Defensive you, solidity, transition. Yeah, it's all a trade-off. Escaping yeah. pressure. I think if you press a Flamini Ramsey midfield, it's catastrophe waiting to happen. But that's for another day. Um, Raj another day. at rpatel03 on Twitter and Calvin Masterson at Calvin Masterson on Twitter both ask similar questions. Raj asks, Ramsey scoring and assisting from center. Does he now hold that position for the rest of the season? Calvin Masterson, if Ramsey continues playing like this in central midfield, A, do you think Arson will revert to a Cox-Santee midfield? And B, should he? So I guess the question is, is Ramsey, who we know wants to be the central midfielder for this team, laying claim to that position? And with Cazorla facing knee surgery four months out and getting a little older in the recovery time, do you suspect that this is now Ramsey's position the rest of the season? Uh, I don't. Honestly, I don't know. I think um, it's going to take uh, Santi so long to come back and be fit and be playing, though I do think he'll pick it up pretty quickly when he gets back. And, you know, who's going to partner Ramsey? I think, you know, I've been... Apparently, Ramsey's defense lawyer for a while, or sorry, Flamini's defense lawyer for a while now. I actually rate him as being pretty decent, pretty good. Um, but um, at a certain level, I mean, he, we're gonna he, he and Ramsey both really walked a tightrope on the sending off front last night. That was the yeah. one thing that really yeah. worried me. I think Flamini and Coughlin have some similarities, but Coughlin, to me, seems to understand a little better how to walk that fine line than Flamini does. Um, yeah. We're very gung-ho. I mean, you can basically say that. We're, we're going for it. And, you know, probably over – balance be damned, you know. Yeah, uh, well, that was, that was for sure. We're going, we're, we're going to have some attacking. We're going to have some goals. we got to score more than we concede. Uh, we got, we kind of got to hang on. I think we might get a little fanned out against the best, biggest teams, but you can win the league by mopping up the points along the way. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Not getting draws, winning or losing, and nine times out of ten winning, that'll get, that'll get you three points versus zero instead of a bunch of draws. That, you know, that can win you the, 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 the championship, and that can create belief while your defense hangs on for grim life. Um, you know, we talked about Flamini. I think it was perfectly reasonable he went into the six-yard box. Ramsey dra- uh, dropped back or was back as, as Flamini went forward. I haven't seen too much. We've seen Flamini go forward a few times uh, over the last few games. I think they've all been reasonable choices. Um, he might Look, even get uh, Cochran got goal. his place by Cochran got his place by being defensively oriented, and I think he really has it drilled into his head that to keep growing as a player and to keep his place at Arsenal, he has to focus on that side of his game. The D gaff with Flamini is strong. Like he does not give a fuck like about flying into a two footed challenge about running all the way through the opposition goal. Like the D gaff is strong in him. So like, I just get the sense that he's just going to play how he wants to play. Yeah. 
Um, real quick, I want to get to the next goal. And, and I'm trying to push this ahead because we're going to keep this relatively short today. First of all, since just the two of us, no one wants to hear what I have to say. Um, and secondly, because uh, Paul has to go. Um, so second goal, Ozil, crazy touch, amazing little flick lob pass to Joel. Still not sure how he saw it, how he pulled it off. But what Campbell does next is really interesting because, all right, Anyone can take a shot at playing a through ball, sliding it past the back four and hoping someone runs onto it. But there was real technical skill involved in the drag back and the timing and the vision. Were you surprised? Look, we know Joel Campbell isn't awful. Were you surprised at the technique and the the skill that he demonstrated there? Because I have to be honest. I knew we could strike him, and I knew we could run around a bit. I didn't know he had that in his game. Yeah, well, I think even now that I've got used to the idea that he might play really good, he still is a bit of an optical illusion. Even as he's playing good in that instant, I'm thinking, he doesn't look like he's he's being this good right now. He's kind of, he's a little quicker than he looks. He's, he's, uh, He's being more technical than he looks. He looks bang average even as he's doing it to me. But he's really good. Uh, the vision for that cut back to Flamini, I mean, there was a lot of places he could have put that ball. Probably only one or two were going to find a player. I mean, that was sweetness. The, the, the one for Giroud, the, the vision for that, you know, Naveen, our, our mate Naveen was pretty critical of the Olympiakos defenders. But I think that's harsh. I think that's the result of end-to-end football. Theo had a really nice little run that everybody kind of ignored. Okay, we love Theo. We know. Keep going. But uh, he pulled his center back with him for a little bit, and then the center back was isolated. That's the gap the ball goes into. And Giroud was hobbling, so he arrived so late that nobody on the Olympiakos side had picked him up and knew what was going on. I thought... But credit to Giroud, that's a run he doesn't make a lot. And maybe it's because he's not usually starting from deep, but he likes to collect the ball on the edge of the box and look for someone else to lay it off to. And he ran all the way through past the back four, took it in stride and slotted home. I mean, it was a... He was literally hobbling, num- Yeah, but it was, it was a... That was a, a striker's run and finish. And, you know, as more of a target man type player, that's not something we see from him a lot. Yeah, I don't... Like I said, I don't think he had much choice. He literally was out of the play because he was hobbling and then thought, oh, fuck, they're going, they're going without me. There might be, And he's limping into the box. He wouldn't have been nearly that late had he had a good leg. So, But I won't argue with it. Yeah, it was great. I mean, um, so another, another Twitter question. Uh, Alexander at Alex R. Downs asks, what does the future hold for Campbell and how does it impact Oxlade-Chamberlain? I have a note for the pod and, and I put it on Twitter as well, which is, Last year, Coughlin was the guy with one foot in his Arsenal grave who revitalized his whole career and became a key contributor. Is that what we're seeing with Joel? Is Joel Campbell this year's Coughlin, and and is this really pushing Oxlade-Chamberlain further to the fringes? I think Coughlin is an instruction to us not, you know, we'll all make judgments. to write anybody off. (laughs) Yeah, it's the fun of football to have opinions and not to obfuscate and to take a bloody position. But you need that other part of your brain that says, but I could be completely wrong, and I have been often. So you look at Coquelin. He's the exception that proves the rule. There's a reason that isn't happening all over the place. Otherwise, we'd all be pulling back our, our loanees from the loan clubs 
and winning the Champions League every year. It's a simple formula, you know. It's not even one out of two or one out of four. It's the reason it was it was astounding is because it was astounding. So I don't think it's any kind of instruction for Joel Campbell apart from you never know. Um, what what's the future for Joel Campbell? Well, the great thing is it, he looks like a really good player potentially if he keeps growing, if he keeps doing what he's doing. He's clearly found a way. Uh, there was a beautiful moment of interplay between him and Ozil yesterday, which made me think, hang on, this might be, this guy might, might be a real Arsenal player in a way that uh, I, I hadn't even accounted for based on his good play recently. There was just a real understanding between the two of them as they knocked it back and forth to each other on the right wing. Immediate, instant, on the same page. Um that and a few other delicious things he did yesterday makes me think, hang, you know, Arsene's still saying he has a lot of upside, that he's a great team player, great mentality and stuff. I don't know. I, I, he, again, continues to be quite deceptive when I look at him. The things he's doing are better than I'm feeling they're about to be. Can I throw a hypothesis um, at you about him, too? Yeah. I don't think he's a winger. I think he's a center forward. He's another player who would prefer to be playing somewhere else. And, you know, you talked about him switching wings and that being an important turning point in the game. But if you look at where his telling contribution came from and a couple of his key contributions, he was basically in the center of the pitch. I mean, yeah. the play he maybe makes... Maybe he has set, a bit of the Sterlings about him. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I just not, know that when he's really pace. banished to the wide positions, he does kind of vanish a little bit. Um, now, he's good at defending and he gets back and he, he works hard and he tackles. And those are all things that Oxlade-Chamberlain could pay attention to. But I think his best contributions on the ball have come when he's able to get a little more in field. I mean, uh, the goal he scored the yeah. other day was more of a channel run than a wide run. Um, yeah, I think he's best when there's players around him. So in field or when there's a triangle forming around him at the wing. He's kind of in the channel more. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah. he's, I, I haven't seen him do, strictly speaking, like as much good powerful running and crossing and you know traditional wide play now look we don't we don't really play with traditional wide players we use our fullbacks to overlap so i get that that's not really what he's even tasked to do but i you know you just get the feeling with him a little bit that when he's more central and the things are happening all around him like you said that he sees the pitch better and that he he contributes more yeah and he he's He's tricksy. He, you know, he, he's got a lot of tricks in him. I think he's quick, but not super quick. But And maybe that's why he doesn't play like a more conventional winger. Um, but that uh, the cross he put in to Flamini that was inch perfect was with his right foot. And he put in another really good cross with his left foot from the other side. Um, so he has the crosses in him. I just don't think it's it's necessarily suits his game to be going to the byline, uh, and maybe not even particularly Arsenal's game. So it's going to be really interesting to see how him, he involves. I think I've given up trying to define what kind of player Joel Campbell is because we got to see when he hits a, the the glass ceiling for him in terms of potential. Well, here's if the he question then. That, yeah. Uh, sorry, but Brian at Gunner Faithful on Twitter. Says who drops out? Hey Brian, who drops out when Alexis comes back? Giroud, Joel, or Theo? I mean, this is the issue. Theo was our first choice center forward. Giroud has now scored a hat trick in a key game, fired goals in against what Bayern, Manchester United. Um, But Theo really made our our front line look like it, it worked brilliantly, and seems to have a better working relationship with Alexis on the pitch. You're not going to leave Alexis out. 
Joel has been fantastic. So who who was the front three? Does because Theo? I mean, the funny thing is, if any player was getting a little criticism last night, it was Walcott. I think it's a little unfair, but there's no question that when he's on the wing, a his contribution defensively can be a little bit suspect, and b um, he doesn't always find ways to get involved as much, and his runs aren't necessarily quite as effective. I know he's had some good seasons as a winger, but right now he looks more effective through the middle. So do you bench yeah. the guy who's producing the end product in Giroud? Do you bench the guy who works best with Alexis and Theo? Or do you, do you bench the player who's done nothing, really hasn't put a foot wrong since being told to come in and, and pick up the slack in Joel Campbell? I think what will happen is we'll play Joel instead of Theo. Really? So you think it'll be Giroud, Alexis, and, and Joel? Yeah, because we're more balanced, and it's more the way we've been playing uh, Interesting. of the last while. Now, personally, Why not I prefer Theo th- over Giroud? Uh, well, I think you make a great point. It should be no over <laughs> Giroud. Over, well, well that, yeah, I mean, g- given that well, Theo right was now you the can't star- drop- unfit, he was the starting center forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right now, you can't drop Giroud. That, I mean, he's, he's just not going to do it. Um, Giroud has the start. I'm not saying he'll never start Theo there, but in the, sh- you know, it's, it's the short to medium term. Everything changes one way or another anyway. So I won't be astonished when Theo is back to being our starting, uh, striker, but it ain't now. Uh, Giroud's got the hot hand or the hot left foot. Uh, Campbell's got the hot right wing. Yeah. Um, and on the Theo point, I mean, people who want to criticize Theo last night, on the one hand, fair enough. I think all the criticisms are actually pretty fair. On the other hand, fuck off. He's been out injured. He's playing. It's his first start. You know, we've seen this script before. He's, he's undroppable. He gets injured. Um, he comes back. People say, oh, he's shitter than I remember. Uh, people say, well, he won't get into the starting 11 because this person's there, that person's there, the other Theo adds something new to his game, like defending. Now, he didn't have a last night, but he did. When he got fit, it's the last piece of his game he now throws in. First, he's going to make some runs. He didn't have the fitness last night. Um, but that said, there was a, a nice little replay of a header he went up for in the box. He was the guy who was on the spot for the penalty for when they dived because he was the guy playing right back. You know, uh, he stole back in and took the ball out off them on the edge of our box and played it out at another point. So he didn't have a great game defensively. He didn't have a great game overall. But, A, the Theo thing works for us. We were very attacking, very dangerous. And, B, come on, guys, give him a little time to get back into Fair it. Fair enough. But overall, I think Campbell starts just because he's got the hot hand. Giro starts. He's got the hot hand. Alexis comes back. He'll start because he's Alexis. Alexis. Yeah, well, let me say this too. I do think that Aaron Ramsey and Giroud is is a combination that works. And as long as Ramsey's going to be in central midfield, it may make sense to play Giroud to bring Ramsey more into the game. Um, The thing I'll say about Olivier Giroud is what a phenomenal show of character for a player who has had some real lows this season and come back from them. I thought... When he got sent off in Zagreb and we lost, I thought that was really the nadir of his season and potentially his Arsenal career, um, including all those misses against Monaco last year. And I thought that it would be tough for him to find his way back. Now, a little through injury and a little through his hard work, he did get back. Um, And I think, look, I've never really warmed Olivier Giroud. And I think the reason for me is, first of all, I just like a pacier player up front. 
You know, I mean, I enjoy watching someone who has that pace, and I enjoy someone who has a little bit more of a killer instinct in front of goal, and I think Giroud is an incredibly unselfish player. But the thing you can't ignore is he does score a lot of goals per 90 minutes played. Now, any Arsenal forward is going to, any Arsenal striker is going to get a lot of chances. Um, we've seen that. I mean, Maro and Shamak put a decent run of goals together. Um, Yaya Sanogo started against Bayern and had real chances to score goals. So, like, you're going to get some. But Giroud, his goal-scoring record really can't be ignored. And he's now scoring important goals, which I think is what was missing from his resume to some extent. Paul, the problem for me, I think, is I still find myself watching us play without Giroud and thinking and feeling we're more dynamic and more threatening than when I watch us play with Giroud. But there's no denying the end product he provides. So... Talk me through, in your mind, the trade-off of a Giroud-led front line and a not-Giroud-led front line um, and, and why he can be so important. But why may, Why do you think maybe he's so polarizing and divisive? Uh, I really think it comes back to the context of who are the other five players around him. Um, and you you have the wrong ones lined up. You know, he looks slow, labored, the two centre-backs haven't pinned down, he's knocking it back. He's it's the Chelsea hold- performance last year at the Emirates. Like, that's yeah. that's the one where he's just he just doesn't find any space, and they have and, him and he's ne- You season. feel he's never going to score, and you think he's... Ba- and he feels bang average, and in that environment, he is bang average. But you put him with the right players. You put somebody like a Theo... When you've got a front six that includes... Your your most defensive player is Flamini, and your second most defensive player is Ramsey in terms of getting forward. You got Ozil now who makes deep runs into the box, and you got Theo in the mix, and you got Giro. You know whether you got Alexis or Campbell on the other wing, you're going to have people making the runs he needs, and he makes sense without that, without enough of those players, and sometimes we've. The same times Ozil didn't have the runners, he didn't run, running on to him for him. Giroud didn't have them. You play him without his runners, he's chopped liver. I mean, he's just, he's not, he's turgid, he's slow, it doesn't make sense. He's playing the ball backwards because there's nobody to play it forward to. And I don't, I think it's an un, it's almost an unfair conversation. Uh, to poke at, not, not this isn't aimed at you, this is aimed at us, to poke at Giroud without saying who's on the pitch at the time. No, that's fair. I, look, now, I Now, that's a limitation, though. There are other strikers you can do it both ways, but there are very few perfect strikers out there. That's his limitation. He needs your Theo. Well, uh, he needs more than Alexis because we've seen him often with Alexis and both have been neutralized. He needs somebody else to push beyond. I mean, you know, people quote his non-penalty goals per 90 stats and show that they're better than Kun Aguero, Luis Suarez, Robert Lewandowski. And it's like, okay, is anyone going to suggest that he's better than those players? I mean, he's not. He is clearly a good player. He is clearly a divisive player. And I think will continue to be so because in my mind, there's one really defining trait of Olivier Giroud. He's a confidence player. And he goes through periods where his confidence is low and it doesn't go for him. And when he's in a confident mode and in a purple patch, then he can score goals at a rate that 
any that are is up there with anybody in world football. And that's what's really exciting about what's happened now. Not only is he scored in some big games, and not only is he now coming off his first club hat trick, what kind of purple patch is this going to launch for him? If you remember two seasons ago, he rescued our season, you know, in, in the middle of the winter. Or was it one season ago? Was this last season? Two seasons. Anyway, we just scored he was he was on like a twelve game goal scoring run or something. I, I know it wasn't twelve consecutive, but he, he scored a lot of goals yeah. in a short period of time. Last season, yeah. Um yeah, okay. And then he lost but, it completely, and Theo finished the season as the striker because he couldn't score goals. And I think he is a confidence player, and when he is in a confident period, you really have to just stand back and admire his goal scoring work. Um obviously you for do. me. Uh, I'd like to make a couple of points on that. I think all, almost all strikers are confidence players. Maybe Giroud, you, you know, Giroud came, came from a long way back. He came from the French but leagues. He, he came from a couple He's of divisions down. You know what? Like a lot he of does. strikers are just pricks. They're just assholes. Like they yeah. don't give a shit. You know, you look at yeah. Luis Suarez, he's not a particularly great dude, but, like, he's going to keep shooting and he's going to keep scoring. I think Giroud is a thoughtful, caring person, and, like, he genuinely lets his own, kind of like Oxley chamberlain I think, he genuinely lets his own poor performances weigh on him and stop him from from thriving. I, I think that's fair. I, I think, uh, here's my, my, alternative, my alternate thought, which is, maybe we give that too much credence. Maybe the causality... It, there's there's definitely something to do that, but maybe the causality is wrong. When he's in a setup that makes sense for him, he plays well, he has confidence, he scores. Getting a goal in a team where it's not set up to play well for him probably isn't going to fix his confidence issues because the next game he's right back at it again. You put him with a setup where he's getting chances, where it makes him look good, it gets him into the right positions – where it's not all on him to batter against two big lumps of center backs to make something happen. You know, who wouldn't get frustrated in a game? Who wouldn't get emotional? Who wouldn't get down on themselves? Um, so I, I think it's both. I think there's the confidence aspect. But you, he's got enough mentality that when he's in a setup that works for him, I don't think it takes him long to turn his mentality around. Yeah, okay. I, I buy that. I mean, look, then you have games you know, like Monaco where he had the chances and he couldn't put him away. And then you have games like last night where he he's, he's a savior. I mean, he was magnificent and we didn't create tons and tons of chances, but when they fell to him, he put them away and you cannot say enough good things about what he did for the club and, and the performance he put in against the confident penalty. I know he had two. Yeah, of goals course. In the back, it, no, but... that, that penalty was crucial. He stepped up he sent the keeper the wrong way, struck it confidently in the back of the net, no problem. I mean, and you can see what it means. You know, the, the team celebrated together. The manager talked about how close this team is, and, and you can really see the camaraderie there. And it, it is wonderful to see, especially set against the backdrop of teams like Chelsea who are imploding presumably just because they all fucking hate each other. Um, I think the the challenge you have when it comes to Olivier Giroud also is that, like, he he can be fantastic on his day. But if you look at his career at Arsenal, it's curious. I mean, it's not just people like me who have been down on him from time to time. And I have been down on him. I, not because I don't think he's not, good. I, I, well, maybe don't, once or don't twice. Don't be harsh on yourself. Yeah. Well, let me put it this way. My, my primary argument with him has always been I wanted one better option than him as our first choice. That's always been what I've said. Um, except when I've been drunk. But like, 
you know, there are weird things in his Arsenal career. Yaya Sanogo getting the start ahead of him against Bayern or Theo Walcott coming back and starting the FA Cup final. I mean, there have been instances where even the manager has felt he's not in a purple patch right now. His confidence is low. I can't play him. Um, so it's clearly, it, there's clearly something there. This isn't a guy that the manager just throws out there every single game and trusts to get it done to the point where he lost his job to a guy learning the center forward position, Theo Walcott. But what he did last night was crucial. I think it, it gives him every reason to go on from here. And as a player who can get very hot, what better time for him to get very hot than going into our busiest period of fixtures with a lot of players out injured? He could really carry us through the Christmas program, which would be fantastic. Let's finish on this just real quick because I know i got to let you go. Um, this was huge for the club. Huge lift for the players. Huge lift for the club. Some would say being out of the Champions League would be better, but I don't think it would in the context of being in the Europa League. So this is fantastic. Um and I love the, the the Champions League, so I'm so, so excited for whomever we draw Barcelona. Um, but do you think being, continuing to be in the Champions League now and knowing how badly the manager would love to do something in the Champions League, however remote that possibility might be, and with the possible title race on and now still having three fronts to battle on because the FA Cup is coming around, do you think we are now more likely to get into the market in January given that we qualify? Uh, well, it certainly wouldn't hurt. Um, well, it wouldn't got hurt, more. but do you think this, this influences at all his decision-making on that I front? No, I wouldn't see why. He's yeah. got a, a, you know, it's still the Premier League. That's our best chance that, you know, you could say it's 50-50 for the Premier League unless we do something really stupid. It's not 50-50 for the Champions League, not remotely. No, it's but we're one, one of the last 16 teams in it, you know? We are. I mean, we have to win, so what, we, three games? Four, four games. I mean, not three games. Four, four more rounds, right? So we yeah, to... but our odds aren't one in sixteen because you got Bayern, you got no. I Barcelona. get it. I get. I, so... I, believe me, I get it. But it's and it's one a in sixteen isn't very good odds. No. If my life, if the doctor told me I had a one in sixteen chance of living versus fifty fifty, I'd take that fifty fifty treatment. So my point is, we only ha- we don't have to beat sixteen teams. We have to beat four, right? Uh, yeah, but your odds are still 16. If you only had to beat one team and your odds were 1 in 16, yeah, yeah. they're still 1 in 16. I, I get it. And if you flip a coin 100 times, the odds of turning heads every time is 50-50. But anyway, um, you know, it just, I think, I think that this could push the manager a little further because I think this team is, the starting 11 for this team is right there. If you have Ramsey and Theo and Giroud, or if it's not Giroud, and Alexis and Ozil and, uh, uh, and, Certainly, Lauren Kashani in his mood, checking all that. If you can make one or two strategic buys, I you have to at least give yourself a shot at doing something in Europe and certainly of winning the Premier League. And so seeing that this could really be a special season now, I think the manager might be more inclined. Now, I know we have to go. Um, I'll just say this. Yeah, I think it's the Flamini spot. I mean, we won't have a long discussion about it, but it all comes down to the Flamini spot. If he can find somebody to strengthen us in that position who can come in and quickly have an impact... Uh, alternatively gets a loan to provide some cover or a really good loan, somebody like Rabiot or somebody like that. I think the good news is it's, it's very binary. That's what we need. We, we can we can wing every other position. Just about, yeah. So I think that's right, need, especially with Welbeck coming back potentially and, and Wilshire and you know, that, that sort of thing. Yep. Let's finish on so this. They need a loan. Um, uh, and by the way, I'm only rushing yeah. you because you've given me a hard stop that we've already run past. So if you don't want yeah, me to yeah. rush you, let me know. Okay. Yeah. Um, Oh, no, Who do you want us to draw? Who do you think we'll draw? Uh, I want us to draw Zenit. Though I hear it's cold and a long flight. 
I feel like playing in Russia in February might not be ideal for us. You can almost hear hamstrings popping as I even say that. Yeah, um, right. No thought that maybe take your chances with Wolfsburg yeah. just because it's climate-wise a little easier? Yeah, maybe. I'd t- still take Zenit. Because I don't Zenit. even think their season is on at that time. I think it's their off-season at that time. Yeah, and we can wear t- tights and snoods and gloves, so we'll be fine. Yeah, we can borrow Sammy Nazri's snood. is probably still in the locker somewhere. Um, who do you think we'll get? No fucking idea. Uh, I think we were lucky last Pasta. year <laughs> when we got Monaco. Um, yeah, we were really lucky. That was a great draw. I think we'll get lucky again. I think we'll get Zenit or Wolfsburg. There you are. Really? Yep. God yep. bless you. You know who I want least of all is Atletico Madrid. And the only reason is I think they're really, really good. And I think that would be one of those disappointing ones where a lot of people would expect us to get through, and I'm not sure we could get past them. Whereas it might be fun to pit ourselves against a Barca or a Real, but I think Atletico Madrid would be a really attritional, really physical, really challenging tie. Um, and a really interesting so one Z- tactically. So actually, yeah. the big three, if you want to say the big three we might face, I think that's one of the big three. Um, I'd like to yeah. see Atletico Madrid from a footballing standpoint. No, not, not from a great I, I, I'd almost take Real Madrid. Yeah. That would be fun. Just because I think... Open, fun games. Yeah. I, I don't know that they're in a great moment right now, as Arsene would say. Anyway, it, it'll all be coming up. We'll break down the draw uh, after it happens on the 14th, whatever our next pot after that is. We'll definitely be talking Champions League. Um, I'll let you go, Paul. I know you got to run. I'm sorry for holding you over a few minutes. No problem. Um, although I had to do a bunch of interrupting just to get us to this point. Yeah. So there you go. Um, you can find Paul on Twitter at Posing in My Plant. Plants. Posing in my plants is a different account. Posing in my pants is where you'll find Paul. Um, but you can posing in some plants if you want. My name's Elliot Smith. Block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. If you would be so kind as to go to iTunes and leave us a five star review and then say all the nasty shit you want, totally fine. Just leave the five star review. Be super helpful. Tim and James will be back periodically. Um, we'll have another pod after Villa away on Sunday. And in the meantime, I hope you will join me in laughing at Manchester United. Until then, cheers. Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. In the latest episode of History This Week, we take a closer look at a failed insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building in 1861, when the nation was on the cusp of a civil war. Nearly 160 years later, what can we learn from this moment when democracy was challenged? And check out all our episodes this month as History This Week celebrates Black History Month. Last week, we covered the Greensboro sit-ins that sparked a media firestorm and inspired mass sit-ins across the country. Next week, we travel to Australia and witness Sydney students taking a freedom ride of their own for Aboriginal civil rights. After that, we'll be exploring the origins of jazz. For these stories and more, subscribe to History This Week wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST recommends.